0: Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com.
1: Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is Season 8, Episode number 77 of our podcast. In this episode, we're talking about cybersecurity. It's often in the headlines, and the healthcare sector is a prime target. I'm sure you remember the WannaCry malware attacks last year. It affected organizations all around the world, but no sector was affected as badly as the healthcare sector. The UK was hit particularly hard. That attack forced the NHS to cancel 19,000 appointments, costing about 20 million pounds. That's about $25 million. And that was over the course of just one week. Plus, it cost about another 72 million pounds, or about $90 million. In the subsequent cleanup and upgrades to its IT systems. We haven't had a headline like that in a little while, but that doesn't mean that there isn't still a significant risk. In fact, just last week, on December 9, 2018, the University of Maryland Medical System discovered that malware had been installed on its network. The attack was detected at 4.30 in the morning, and within two and a half hours, its networks and devices had been taken offline and affected devices had been quarantined. The senior VP and chief information officer, John Burns of the University of Maryland Medical Center, issued a statement that said most of the devices that were affected with the malware were desktop computers. IT staff were able to identify those computers that were affected and get them quarantined, no files were encrypted, and there was no impact on medical services. While it's unfortunate that these attacks still persist, it's great to see how a quick response can really limit the detrimental impact to data, equipment, and care at hospital facilities. So how can organizations protect themselves from these sorts of attacks? And when attackers do manage to get into the network, how can they be identified quickly so that they can be isolated and limit the damage they cause? Today, we're talking about the unique challenges of cybersecurity and healthcare, and we're exploring some of the tools and solutions that can help trap these attackers dead in their tracks. I'm joined in this episode by two guests. The first is Jonathan Langer. He's the CEO and co-founder of Medigate. Medigate is a company that identifies, manages, and protects connected medical devices. Also joining me on the program is Ori Bach, the General Manager and VP of Products at TrapX Security. TrapX created a new generation of what's known as deception technology that provides real-time breach detection and prevention. We dive into why this is such a threat to healthcare and find out what providers and manufacturers can do to help prevent these extremely costly attacks. Now let's kick off the conversation with Jonathan Langer, the CEO and co-founder of Medigate. Jonathan, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program.
0: Uh, Good morning. Uh, Nice to be here.
1: Jonathan, we're talking about cybersecurity and healthcare. Let's talk about, first of all, why this is such a big problem.
0: Well, I think that it's such a big problem because there's a combination of potential patient harm and actual probability of this occurring. And uh, a great example of this actually transpiring was the WannaCry attacks, Uh, which had significant effect on the healthcare industry globally uh, by inflicting ransomware uh, on many medical devices around the globe.
1: Okay, so that made headlines all over the world, and that was a big problem. It really shut down a lot of facilities. But let's go back and just refresh everyone's memories. How did that unfold? What did that exactly do, and what was the impact of it?
0: So essentially, WannaCry was what we call an untargeted attack meaning that it utilized a very basic vulnerability on the Windows uh, operating system. And this vulnerability, it can target uh, actually any industry for that matter. But here's the interesting part about healthcare is that this hit healthcare very bad because the problem with healthcare is that these medical devices, for the most part, are not necessarily patched, meaning that while the vulnerability was actually known to the security community around the world and remediated for the most part in healthcare, just because medical devices cannot be patched and cannot be remediated easily, the effect was quite severe. And the impact included actually shutting down medical devices through this ransomware payload, both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and really disrupting the operations of many uh, hospitals and healthcare systems uh, and shutting down their processes or inhibiting them significantly.
1: So ransomware takes over devices or files and the hackers that initiate this request some sort of payment and supposedly they'll give you a code to be able to re-access these files and devices. Is that essentially it?
0: That's exactly it. So essentially what happens is that this uh, ransomware payload locks your, your computer or your medical device or whatever uh, Windows-based uh, machine you're using. And then in order to open that up, you have to send uh, uh, some Bitcoin currency to the attacker so that he'll open up the, uh, that uh, locked, uh, locked device. Um, some people paid, uh, some people did not. Uh, but uh, in both cases, of course, there was significant damage.
1: And how did it all start, though? Was it someone somewhere got an email and they clicked on a link, or they opened a file, or how did the whole thing unfold?
0: So it's a combination of a, of a, a couple of what we call attack vectors. So you mentioned a one, which is phishing attacks, which can be either through email or a social media, a essentially just a link that a bad link that you would a, a, that you would push. Uh, and then uh, you wouldn't download the, uh, the file or anything that you thought uh, you needed, but rather uh, you would be downloading this, uh, this ransomware, uh, the, uh, affecting the, the vulnerability that I had described. Now the second attack vector, or actually the continuation of this attack vector would be network propagation that happened once, the ran- once this uh, malware actually hit some networks. So, for example, in a hospital environment, what happened is that the internet facing computers, those that just browse the internet, they actually downloaded this malware and were hit by this malware. And then it began to propagate within the network and began to hit the medical devices that don't necessarily have a a direct internet connection to begin with.
1: Now, I know a lot of people that are working inside of hospitals, a lot of us, you know, we've worked in healthcare for decades and we've come up through the system. And a lot of these things that are concerns today were not really things we had to think about when we were procuring or selling or developing medical devices and systems inside hospitals. So one would hope that after such a a bad incident, like WannaCry, that everybody would be on board to say, okay, we got to do something better. What was the impact, the the knock-on impact uh, after that to the industry? Have hospitals begun to get their cybersecurity house in order?
0: Well, I think um, <laughs> I think this was really a, a tipping point in terms of the way that we will look back at the history of healthcare cybersecurity, because I think that the acknowledgement and the recognition of the importance of healthcare cybersecurity from that point on really changed. And I think it really changed from two standpoints. One would be the hospital standpoint, recognizing the problem beginning to allocate uh, the right size of budget for cybersecurity, for the medical devices, for the IT side, for the entire network, really. And this even maybe started before a WannaCry, but I certainly believe that this expedited and amplified this process. And the second standpoint that I wanted to mention is the medical device or the manufacturer side uh, of the cybersecurity issue. And to that point... I think that since uh, since WannaCry, the FDA has been uh, working hard to push this uh, new regulation and to advocate the importance of manufacturers incorporating uh, this kind of cybersecurity baked into the medical devices, and I think it's having a positive effect on the industry.
1: Well, I think there's a couple of aspects from the medical device side is that, first of all, some of these products are... 10, 15, 20 years old, the life expectancy of these products can be decades. And they were designed in an era where they didn't have to think about them being connected or protected against some of these things. And then the other side that you just mentioned is that whenever they've had a a firmware update or or some sort of patch that could go onto these devices, there's been a tremendous, historically, there's been a, a tremendous regulatory burden they've had to go through in order to do that. So, I know the FDA has been working on that. can Can you give us any indication about where where the sort of regulations stand now and and how device manufacturers and organizations can can install these sort of patches and help safeguard their system and devices?
0: Sure. I certainly agree with you that there has been um, some sort of confusion with regard to the regulations around uh, upgrading firmware or patching these uh, medical devices. I do believe that this is true and I've talked to many manufacturers that would agree with this as well. I think that the FDA has done a good job of clarifying its policy. And today the FDA or for a while now the FDA has been saying very clearly that not only do they permit patching but they actually advocate it explicitly. The only setback which is which is understandable in this case is the fact that before you update this, uh, uh, this, the, these patches, before you insert this uh, new firmware, the manufacturer is mandated to go through a quality assurance uh, process that makes sure that the actual uh, firmware that it's installing is actually valid and is actually not, uh, uh, won't inflict any harm potentially on uh, patients that would use this device.
1: I agree. The FDA has been really great at this. I was just at CNS Summit uh, at the end of October, early November in Florida, and Bakul Patel, who's the Associate Center Director for Digital Health at the FDA, made that exact point to everyone that was in the room. And I think a lot of it also really comes down to the medical device companies. I mean, having worked for a medical device company for many years and being involved in the product development life cycle, these were things that we just didn't take into account in the late '90s and even early 2000s. We just weren't thinking about this sort of cyber issue in relation to the devices that we're designing. So I think there's been a real awakening on all of the stakeholders' pieces. Are they doing enough?
0: Well, that's a good question, and I think that uh, it's it's a good start, uh, but it's certainly not enough. And I think that one of the areas that I would emphasize that I think there's a lot of work that still has to be done is what the FDA calls the post-market uh, cybersecurity guidance meaning what is the burden on the medical device manufacturer his responsibility to protect the medical device after it's connected and deployed uh, at the hospital uh, at the hospital itself with regard to uh, threat detection and remediation response after the medical device is actually operating in some hospital around the world the FDA has uh, submitted its guidance uh, there, but I think that there's a lot of work until this is fully implemented.
1: So when we're talking about cybersecurity and the healthcare environment, what's different about the healthcare environment to the other enterprise environments where security is an issue?
0: Well, I think that the main, there are a couple of uh, differentiators here. I think that for the fo- first part, uh, and maybe most importantly, is the fact that the healthcare networks are incredibly connected. You know, the US government has been promoting great initiatives such, uh, such as meaningful use, uh, basically advocating the fact that data within healthcare should be shared in order to uh, facilitate better patient care uh, So, uh, anywhere across the nation. Uh, and I think that while there are great benefits to this it actually exposes, in terms of cybersecurity, the hospitals significantly, because now there is a connection to the EMR, and the EMR is sometimes housed uh, uh, on the cloud, and now hospitals need to communicate with each other. And also, and this is probably the new addition, over the past couple of years, medical devices themselves are connected more and more within that same network. So this increased connectivity, which is inherent to the way that these hospitals operate, has been exposing uh, the hospitals to significant risk in terms of cybersecurity. And I think this is one of the main reasons, on top of what we had talked about, the patching issue, uh, which really makes a difference.
1: So for a facility to protect itself that it certainly is not a one size fits all sort of solution it's not a, and in fact it's not even a single solution that a hospital say okay we ticked the box we procured our, our cybersecurity infrastructure we're we're done um what are some of the things that people need to be thinking about when it comes to protecting it, this specialized healthcare environment and what makes some of the solutions that are available you know, commercially broadly for any sort of business, what makes that perhaps not entirely translatable to the healthcare space?
0: So I think that uh, one of the realizations within the healthcare sector is that it's just unique. Uh, the way that the medical devices operate, uh, their kinds of behaviors, their communication patterns, and most importantly, the fact that they use proprietary protocols for the most part, just makes this an incredibly unique environment. And the fact of the matter is that these unique attributes, in my opinion, require to be addressed through a unique solution. And the existing solutions, while they may be very effective for the IT side of the network, even within a hospital, the fact of the matter is that they're not effective enough in terms of identifying medical devices, in terms of detecting uh, uh, threats, uh, and in terms of preventing threats in real time when it comes to these medical devices. And my belief is that there needs to be a dedicated solution that addresses the unique behaviors of these medical devices. And that's what uh, I think the hospitals are realizing today as well.
1: So what makes your solution different and more effective in in protecting these systems?
0: I think that the main thing that I would mention is that the, the, the big differentiator here is that this is a dedicated solution. And what this dedicated solution addresses first and foremost is the fact uh, that we're able to decode and analyze all of the proprietary protocols that are used by the, uh, the diverse manufacturers that are installed within a hospital. And these are hundreds And that kind of technology, what it's able to achieve is access to what we call a contextual data set, a contextual clinical data set that helps us understand what that medical device is, how it's supposed to behave, and how do we prevent any deviation from that specific clinical workflow that characterizes a medical device. So we're really seeing the medical device for what it is and not just as a generic network element. And this helps to just give you more reliability and more accuracy in terms of your cybersecurity solution.
1: Okay, so let me just understand that. Correct me with whatever I'm saying that's wrong here, but the, a, a typical solution will go through and find whatever devices are connected to it and work to identify them in some way. But the trouble with a lot of these medical devices is that there's certain firmware that's been loaded on. There's serial numbers and, and various things that we need to know about those devices in terms of their MAC address and, and the type of uh, product it is. But your solution goes a lot further where it actually then goes through and matches that product that is identified with a data set that you've developed that that gives you additional insights into what that that product is. Is that essentially it?
0: The, the answer is yes, uh, but I would, I would say it this way. I think that uh, the challenge that we're seeing that the hospitals are facing today is that to begin with, this data, the serial numbers, the software version, all the things that you had mentioned in your question, for the most part, they're just not available to that hospital. They just don't know in most cases. And sometimes it's because uh, the the responsibility of these medical devices over these medical devices wasn't clear. So the biomed department and the IT department weren't uh, exactly communicating. And in some parts, it's just because this uh, data was obfuscated from them. They just didn't know from the manufacturer and didn't ask to begin with. So the technology enables us to discover all this data. And since today there's just so many medical devices out there, this has become quite a challenge. Now The second thing that we do, and I think that you referred to this in your comment, is that this can also be combined with existing platforms that they have within the envir- within their environment. So for example, if some of the data was documented in an inventory management system, what they call a CMMS, then we can actually correlate the data that we're seeing and the data that they're seeing in the CMMS and validate its a authenticity. And this is also a great benefit for them. And what's interesting also to point out that the benefit here isn't just for IT or cybersecurity, but it's actually also for inventory management and performance management of these medical devices, which is the responsibility of the clinical engineering or biomed department and not the cybersecurity department. And that's why I believe this cross organizational approach is very beneficial for the entire enterprise.
1: That's a really good point. I mean, I hadn't thought about that aspect about inventory management. Certainly, you know, there there's always an issue about where products are in the building, whether they need to procure more of them because they don't seem to have enough when actually they might just not be utilized, but focusing on the cybersecurity aspect of it, first of all, you can't protect your network if you don't know the stuff that's on there. So you have to find a way of identifying. And I think what is typically and has been done is people go around with a clipboard or some sort of uh, uh, iPad and and try to like go literally room to room, floor to floor and identify the, the products, find the products that they think is there based on whatever uh, CMMS system has has said exists and then try to go through and identify, you know, what firmware, what software uh, has been loaded on, all that sort of thing. Is that right?
0: You're absolutely right. This is uh, quite a prevalent practice. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at a large healthcare system with so many medical devices that are changing so frequently and connecting and disconnecting to the network, doing this manually, it's just a... a, pro- a never ending process, I would say. Very, very lengthy, very pricey. Uh, and since Biomed is going to be installing and changing uh, new devices all the time and patching uh, some of them, it, it just won't end. And that's why an automated solution is definitely something that I would advocate.
1: Excellent. So if you could just try to help every healthcare system, every healthcare provider in the world with a piece of advice, what what would that advice be to them about how they can protect their network?
0: In my opinion, and I think this is a very basic step, but fundamental, is just starting out with a very accurate inventory that is also prioritized in terms of cybersecurity risk. I think just that step, which is, it's not a small step, But just this step, even before all the other layers of cybersecurity that obviously you can add on top of that, would provide tremendous value because it would make the cybersecurity program very focused, very concrete and tangible, and something that you can actually take action with uh, rather than just keeping it high level and saying that you want to address the medical device security issue. I think, therefore, this is a great first step.
1: Where can people go to find out more about Medigate and the solutions you guys offer?
0: So I think the best place to look is uh, at our website, uh, medigate.io. And certainly, I'd be uh, glad to uh, answer any questions also on contact at medigate.io. Happy to do so personally. And uh, I I would invite anyone uh, that has a question to reach out.
1: Excellent. So that's medigate.io. M-E-D-I-G-A-T-E dot I-O. And you're also going to be at HIMSS in 2019, right?
0: Uh, Yes, this is correct. We're going to have a significant presence at HIMSS with our uh, extended staff. So, uh, of course, uh, I invite uh, everyone to hop by our uh, different booths in that event and also uh, potentially uh, attend some of the events that we are hosting uh, which if anyone would like to inquire about, can also use that same email address that I had provided, and we'd be happy to get in touch with you and to get you those invites.
1: All right, we've been speaking with Jonathan Langer, the CEO and co-founder of Medigate. When we come back after the break, we're going to bring my second guest into the discussion. Ori Bach from Trapex will join us to talk about some of the research they did and how they laid a trap for unsuspecting hackers. We'll jump into that after a quick word from one of our terrific sponsors. Don't go away. Okay, we're back. This is Digital Health Today, Episode 77, and we're talking about cybersecurity. We just heard from Jonathan Langer from Medigate about some of the threats that exist in healthcare and how important it is to inventory the devices on a network to ensure that they're up-to-date and have the best available protection. But cybersecurity doesn't have a magic bullet. No one product or service addresses every threat and neutralizes it before they do any harm. If attackers do get into a network, wouldn't it be great if we could turn the tables on them? If we could lay some sort of traps that would trigger an alert if they did one thing wrong? Our next guest is going to tell us how to do exactly that. He's Ori Bach, the general manager and VP of products at TrapX Security. Trapex deceives would be attackers with turnkey decoys or traps that imitate the true assets within an organization, which basically creates a virtual minefield for cyber attacks. Let's tune into the conversation with Ori Bach. Ori, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be a part of this uh, excellent program.
1: So earlier in the conversation, when I, when I was speaking with Jonathan from Medigate, we talked about the WannaCry virus. But one of the things that we didn't mention is that although that uh, ransomware attack happened in May 2017, I understand that you've done some research and you found that it's still an active threat. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Uh, we conduct research, uh, essentially counterintelligence operations, where we uh, attempt to, uh, to flush out attackers. Ransomware is still a big threat. There are other types of active uh, uh, malware that are specifically targeting uh, medical devices and healthcare organizations.
1: Aside from that headline making international news, what are some of the other impacts that maybe don't get that same amount of visibility in the healthcare system? Can you share anything with us?
2: Definitely. Uh, so our research has shown that there are two kinds of uh, uh, impacts that could happen. There's the uh, what we call intended uh, damage. Uh, so if you are being targeted by uh, uh, some kind of cyber, uh, cyber crime organization, you being a hospital and they steal the medical records, uh, obviously your patient's privacy has been put at risk. And in many cases, there are uh, regulatory and financial implications to the fact that those medical records, that those personal, uh, uh, pers- that personal information was stolen from uh, uh, from within the hospital, so that would be the uh, uh, the intended damage. However, there's also unintended damage as uh, 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 as hackers uh, either specifically attempt to steal those medical records, or like in the case you mentioned, they develop ransomware, which is just rap- which is just uh, uh, spreading throughout the world. And because hospitals are more vulnerable, because they have uh, devices that are typically not patched, the medical devices, there is an impact, you could have unintentional damage. So for instance, many of the hospitals uh, were needed to be shut down uh, in that 2017, but our research has also shown that as this malware uh, infects a hospital network, it could also impact the uh, performance and other types of uh, uh, functions of the medical devices themselves. So while this is not typically what the attackers are attempting to do, they're not trying to endanger patient safety, uh, the the end result is that patient safety would be impacted as those devices uh, are now carrying the malware and that malware is interfering with their normal function. Could make It could simply that they be shut down and that you will not be able to uh, perform daily operations, appointments, or have devices work. Worst yet, it could be that they do not shut down but just perform abnormally, and that is a patient uh, safety uh, issue. Right,
1: absolutely. You've mentioned that you, you've done a variety of research, and one of the things that I looked at prior to this call was the MedJack.4 investigative report that you guys put together. And I love how close you guys are in, in working against the bad guys. You guys are really confronting them. Can you tell us how you developed this report and sort of the, the way that you did this research?
2: Definitely. Uh, the way that we conduct research is actually uh, different than uh, traditional than traditional research, which is mostly about looking, uh, looking for attacks that have happened and attempting to analyze different things. We actually do uh, what I think would closely relate in the world of uh, warfare to counterintelligence. Uh, so what we did with MedJack 4, we actually set up a fake hospital. Uh, we gave it a website. We gave it some presence in uh, uh, in various places. And then uh, we engaged uh, various cybercrime organizations within the darknet and actually sold uh, credentials, uh, access credentials uh, into that fake uh, hospital that we've built. Uh, the reason that we that we did all that is we wanted to have a good understanding of uh, what would be the mode of operation for a criminal organization once they were able to get uh, uh, access into a hospital network and we found a few really interesting things out of it first of all uh, immediately as we offered to uh, uh, to sell using a fake identity of course to sell uh, access to our fake hospital Uh, In in various darknet forums, uh, there were a lot of people uh, willing to do that and willing to pay good money for it, actually pay typically in in medical records, so medical records that they've already stolen. And uh, once we've gotten those, of course, we reported them to the proper regulatory uh, authorities. The second really interesting thing that we found out is how familiar and how specialized was the attack. So once they gain access to our fake hospital, to this fake uh, uh, medical network that we've built, They were highly targeted, they understood how the the network was built, uh, the various types of servers and medical devices. Immediately, they installed various tools in order to progress, and they went right for uh, a server that held fake medical records. So obviously, uh, targeting hospitals is not just uh, uh, something that's opportunistic it is a specialty within cybercrime today.
1: Wow. Yeah, I, I think that's fascinating. So so we talked with uh, Medigate about the fact that we need to identify all the different things that are on the network and some of the things they do to uh, identify these medical devices, these IoT specialty devices that uh, have a variety of uh, amounts of security or you know vulnerabilities around them. Um, but you actually are setting up, traps and honeypots for them and and using what's, what I understand to be called deception technology. What is deception technology?
2: Right. Deception technology, or uh, as it's uh, coined by uh, various analysts like Gartner, distributed decep- deception platform, is, first of all, a way of thinking. Uh, in essence, it is a way to improve uh, cybersecurity, to get better understanding of attackers, to detect uh, attacks and breaches, by uh, tricking the attackers by setting up various types of traps uh, essentially fake attack surfaces and uh, uh, and having uh, and recording any kind of activity that touches those traps this is uh, an evolution of the concept of honeypots that has been uh, us for a while. It is much more realistic, much more scalable, and an enterprise capability. So that's kind of at a high level, what is deception technology? Specifically, uh, it can be used in one of two ways. I just mentioned as a research tool to kind of go out there and set up a whole fake uh, entity, a whole fake hospital to get some understanding. However, when we work with our customers, what we actually do is we deploy our traps within their network. And this is kind of an insurance policy. So if there is a breach, if somebody is actually within the network, He will touch one of our traps, and by touching that trap, he will trigger an alarm. We will be able to identify that the breach is happening, how technically uh, uh, is it being managed, and shut it down. And this is kind of an insurance policy. If somebody bypasses the perimeter, and attackers can bypass the perimeter today, This would be your second line of defense and would be able to effectively uh, give you the assurance that if any attack happens, your data and your operations will not be compromised. Those traps could be uh, anything from uh, mimicking uh, a workstation, uh, a a server, but also things like medical devices, MRIs, CTs, electronic medical records, imaging devices. So in essence, we would create a shadow network uh, intermingled with the real network. Attackers cannot distinguish between our traps and the real assets, and therefore they would be caught every time. We have a number of uh, uh, great case studies uh, regarding why that is a highly effective approach. It is effective because it allows you to detect even the most sophisticated attacker, and it is effective because it has no false positives associated with it by definition. If I set up a fake server and somebody is trying to steal uh, or take the medical records off that server, there is no legitimate reason for that to happen, right? This is an abnormal and uh, uh, probably malicious event.
1: Right, because nothing within the, the network itself, the, the legitimate network, would have thought to go to that fake server to to retrieve this information. So by, by the nature of the fact that someone's in there trying to get it, you know that it's uh, that it's some malicious intent, right?
2: Correct. All the legitimate users within the enterprise know their business roles. They work with the assets that, uh, uh, with the assets and devices, sometimes even physically that they're supposed to work with. If somebody is trying to touch uh, a trap, that's obviously not uh, a, not a legitimate user, but somebody that's trying to touch things that are not part of their uh, uh, roles and responsibility. Typically, it would be an outside attacker.
1: So cybersecurity is really, it's a multi-layered solution that needs to be put in place. Your technology is one component of many different things that I imagine uh, organizations need to put in place in order to protect themselves. And I think one of the problems is uh, just uh, lack of awareness within some of these organizations, because as you mentioned Sometimes some of these devices were developed and procured and installed well before there was actually this whole entity of cybersecurity and awareness that this is something that that people need to uh, protect against. Has it gotten better and has it improved and, and how has your business changed with the recent headlines that have been made?
2: Uh, so first of all, uh, while it is still a huge problem, it has gotten better. If I look at hospitals specifically, as we started operating a few years ago, most of them did not have a dedicated security practice. So this cyber security or IT security, as it was called, was a function within the world of IT. Today, to a greater extent, we are seeing that there is some kind of cybersecurity practice, a dedicated practice, uh, and within that, there is also a specific uh, specialization or sometimes even a separate team that focuses on the cybersecurity of medical devices. Just having that, uh, uh, that awareness, having a program, having uh, sometimes even management of a hospital Be aware that this is a risk that needs to be managed because it could impact uh, the hospital financially, it could impact operation, it could even impact uh, patient safety is in itself uh, the uh, great improvement uh, because not having any kind of awareness, not having any kind of visibility, uh, the fact that you could be attacked and not even know that you've been attacked is probably the greatest risk uh, that is out there. Uh, This is a building practice. Um. as we now engage with hospitals there is a lot more uh there is a lot more dialogue a lot more understanding uh, regarding what are the risks that they're looking to uh, uh to mitigate how to uh, how to effectively handle incidents once they happen which is complex because uh, as you said those are those medical devices are typically managed by the vendors right so even if you find out that a medical device has been hacked you need to have a process regarding how do i return to normal operations. So it is getting better. But I think this today, unfortunately, hospitals are probably not as secure as many other enterprises uh, that are focused more on IT assets and have really started in the game of cybersecurity earlier, but it is getting better.
1: I understand you've put together some best practices that organizations can follow in order to try to protect themselves. Can you go through some of those with me?
2: Sure. Uh, first of all, and it's really always about people, process, and technology, so you need to have people in place. Uh, you need to have uh, a security program uh, in place with some kind of uh, either a specialization or even a dedicated team that is looking at medical device security. This can only be successful if you work closely with your partners on the IT side. Uh, if cybersecurity is separate than IT, uh, and the entire management of the medical network needs to be uh, needs to be done with the perspective that, in the same way that uh, physical security is a problem, and you're not going to let you know addictive drugs uh, uh, go unlocked, cybersecurity is also something that needs to be looked at with every action that is taken the second thing that needs to happen is to have some kind of visibility uh if attacks happen and attacks do happen and having some kind of a program or practice uh which involves of course technology of being able to understand <coughs> that those medical devices somebody's targeting those medical devices somebody's breaching those medical devices somebody's trying to touch any of the sensitive data and uh finally and this is, this is a challenge, but you also need to, to the best of your ability, be able to keep up with patches and other types of security updates on uh, the management of the medical devices. That is hard because many of those devices have various types of regulatory requirements where only the, uh, the vendor that manufactured them is able to do that. And you also need to have a good process in place if any of those devices are being compromised how do you clean up that infection and return to normal operation? So those would be some of the best practices that I would recommend to uh, uh, to various hospitals working with us.
1: Brilliant. I appreciate you sharing those with us. And I, I mentioned the report earlier. I'll have a link to that on the show notes for this episode so people can go over to your website and download that. That was a really interesting read and it was interesting to understand how you did it and some of the findings from it. I also saw a video on your website that we'll include in the show notes for this as well. It's about a three-minute video that basically describes uh, how you trap the hackers that are that are penetrating the system. How else can people learn more about your work and follow your progress?
2: Yeah, uh, so uh, the best way to do it is just to contact us. Uh, we are definitely uh, always happy to work with hospitals, share some best practices, share information. I think the best thing to do would be to go to Trapex, www.trapex.com and uh, just uh, contact us and we can uh, share some of the case studies, put you together, uh, uh, have a meet with uh, some of our cybersecurity researchers, share, uh, uh, share some best practices. And we also, uh, uh, we also have a community that is built around our practice and our product uh, that knows how to share within itself. So this would be other hospitals that could also tell you about uh, their experience. Uh, I think the basic thing uh, that I would like to uh, people to take away if they are interested in this technology, it is not a high-end sophisticated thing that only a very mature and, uh, uh, and big security team can take. Actually, this approach of setting up traps is highly automated and gets you uh, immediate results. And those results will tell you that if you have been breached and what the problems are, based on that, you can really expand the security program because now you know not in theory but in practice you can go to your board and say look here are a number of devices here's malware that we actually caught here is uh, an attack that has happened and was intercepted by those traps this is information that really allows you to direct your actions and the resources in the right places because you're not looking at theoretical vulnerabilities but actual attacks happening against you and maybe some of your peers
1: now are you gonna be at hims or any other conferences coming up in two thousand
2: and nineteen? Definitely. so we are uh, we definitely we typically have presence uh, either in more broader security shows like uh, uh, Black Hat as well as uh, uh, occasionally in some of the uh, in some of the healthcare uh, related events uh, but ultimately, I think the best way to contact trapex is through the website and have an intimate conversation. Uh, with one of our specialists uh, that will probably provide the the deeper engagement and more uh, concrete technical information that many hospitals need uh, or want in order to build this practice.
1: Ori, thanks so much for joining me and for being a part of the program. Thank you. It was a pleasure. My guests in this episode were Jonathan Langer, the CEO and co-founder of Medigate, and Ori Bach, the General Manager and VP of Products at Trapex Security. You can get links to everything we discussed by visiting our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 77 while you're there be sure to sign up for our newsletter and find the links to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app again that url is digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 77 we love producing this show and serving the global audience of health innovators and i really appreciate the wonderful response that i'm getting from you if you enjoy this program there are several ways you can show your support and if you do this it really means a lot first of all you can share our program with your friends and colleagues by sending the link on email or on social media We get a lot of new listeners through referrals, so that really helps to get people engaged with this show. Another way is to leave a review on iTunes. And now, if you're in the U.S., you can also do this on Google Podcasts. We have a good number of reviews in the U.S. store and a few other countries, but we'd love to have more. It's easy to do. Just scroll down in your podcast app and tap a star rating. And lastly, I'd love to hear from you directly, and perhaps we can even set up a time to connect. Take a minute to email me at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or send me a direct message to the show on Twitter at dhealthtoday thank you for tuning in and being a part of the program we have more great guests to bring you in this season season eight and season nine is going to be a great one too i've got a few other announcements that i'll be sharing with you over the coming days and weeks so stay tuned for that on twitter and on linkedin and your newsletters for more information about that that wraps up our episode i'll speak with you soon in episode 78 and until next time keep on innovating